Hey, AOC podcast listeners, I'm Marissa Chan. And I'm Denise Moreno Ramirez. And we are sitting in for Brian Benkowski in this episode of the Agents of Change and Environmental Justice podcast. We are current Agents of Change fellows, and we both have a passion for beauty justice, which is work that surrounds the economic, social, and the physical cost of beauty. In this episode, we discuss beauty justice with two Tucson, Arizona-based individuals with different perspectives on this topic that are not usually the focus of campaigns, research, and podcasts surrounding beauty. It's been a long journey to get to this point. I will never, you know, be half of myself any at, at any point in my life anymore, um, especially especially in these particular situations. In fact, it's more of a focus effort to be as brown facing as I can, brown and queer facing as I can be in these in these situations. That was Melissa Cordero, who works as a marketing manager for Sonoran Institute and has a deep understanding of how they came to their current multifaceted idea of beauty and how justice can look in our world. Melissa also discusses what needs to align for them to feel unapologetically happy and their journey getting there as a lesbian identifying woman. For me, my way forward is trying my hardest to keep that open mind and also um, encouraging people to stop looking at a, um, a standard and to create a standard. And that is my constant endeavor in life, just period. That was Tatiana Diva Blanco, who is winner of Miss Gay Tucson American Crown, among other awards, and a legendary performer in IBTs, one of Tucson's gay bars. They will talk about their journey of becoming a drag queen and how they see their role in inspiring and supporting the next generation. We promise this episode won't be a drag. And before we start, we want to talk about our connection with the topic of beauty justice from our own lived experiences. So I will pass it to Denise to get us started. As a brown skinned woman, I have a love-hate relationship with beauty standards. Through my Mexican family and friends, I first learned about the unwritten rules of beauty. Then, when I became immersed in school, I learned more about those rules. Then society provided me with more clues through images and popular media. Fast forward to adulthood. Beauty became a tool, an important tool. I won't get into all the details, but I realized I could manipulate my looks to fit in as much as possible in a white-dominated workspace called academia. The only thing I could not do was change my skin color, even though there's a product for that. By manipulating my hair, wearing certain clothes, and putting products on my face, I could morph into a more palatable version. Ultimately, people in institutions judge you by your outside appearance. That is a fact. Today, with four decades of practice and experience, I see beauty differently. I appreciate beautiful things, but when it comes to myself, those pressures are less due to the confidence I have gained, which I can attribute to age and experience. I compare less for sure. I have a more diverse definition of beauty, which used to be more exact. Today, I'm comfortable stepping into social settings without wearing makeup or leaving my hair wavy. 
I can do what I want, and that is powerful for me. And now I'll pass it on to Marissa. From the time I was a child, I've always been aware that my hair was different from the majority of my classmates. While they had no trouble throwing it in a ponytail or wearing it out on rainy or foggy days, mine would take a bit more effort, and to me, it would never look right. Based on these experiences and others, I started to straighten my hair to fit into certain spaces, which eventually led me to using chemical hair relaxers until I was exhausted of upholding a standard of beauty that is unattainable and harmful for many of us. Now that I've been wearing my hair curly for a while, I've come to appreciate and celebrate diversity in hair textures. Every once in a while, I will straighten my hair, but the key difference is that it is because I want to and not that I feel like I need to. The choice to wear my hair curly or straight is not a choice everyone can make, and I will continue to fight beauty and justice in the hopes that one day everyone will be able to make that choice. Just a note before we get started, we had such rich and inspiring conversations with both of our guests that we could not fit it all into one episode. So you will be hearing some particularly impactful sections from our conversations with Melissa and Diva. Now, let's get into these conversations, starting with a discussion about the impact of beauty standards. I would definitely say I went through a long period of, you know, just being, you know, feeling that pressure that many of us do as a Pacific Islander woman, um, trying to satisfy the Western ideals of what beauty looks like. Um, you know, the slim body types, the lighter skin, the high cheekbones, the large eyes, the tiny nose, the symmetrical face. I can go on and on and on about you know, just the pressures of, you know, what, what I'm surrounded with every day. And then I joined the LGBT Chamber of Commerce here in Tucson. And that's where I um, found my courage. Um, when I was around other business professionals in Tucson, and I saw them being authentically and intentionally themselves, um, I was like, oh my God, I like, okay, so business can go on. I can be exactly as queer as I am and show who I am and all the things that I love about myself and, um, and it shouldn't hurt my business. And in fact, once I started doing that, um, even in, you know, heavy white facing situations, I started applying that everywhere and my sales doubled, my contracts doubled, everything got better. So I was like, man, I like, I wish it didn't take me so long. Um, and then that same courage that I found right there, I brought that also to my family. Because even as an adult up until my late 20s, early 30s, I still felt that pressure around my dad. So when I would pack to go visit my family, you know, I would grab dresses and I would grab like more girlier things and I'd put away my button ups and my, you know, like bow ties and stuff. And because, you know, I didn't want my dad to see me in that, you know, because there was still that lingering pressure. Um, so, you know, again, it, it's it's the pressure. For, it's like the social pressure and then it's the media pressure um, that, you know, it's, it, it's been a long journey to get to this point. I will never you know, be half of myself any, at, at any point in my life anymore. Um, especially, especially in these particular situations. In fact, it's more of a focus effort to be as brown facing as I can, brown and queer facing as I can be in these, in these situations. Right now I'm kind of in the middle of a struggle <laughs> <laughs> because, um, 
there was, it's so funny. I was going through videos and I was going through all kinds of stuff. And I was like, oh my God, I remember when I used to fit into that costume or, or oh, oh my God, I remember back in the day when my body did this and not this like it does now. Um, and uh, so there's a constant mode to like fit the mold. I think a lot of performers struggle with, um, mm -hmm. especially since um, the uh, most successful queens in the nation are some sort of like this certain size or this certain like uh, this certain makeup or this certain trend. There are other queens that are going against the grain of that. And I try so hard to um, also like kind of live that moment of um, letting the girls know that I know are struggling. Um, it's okay, girl. It's fine. Do uh, instead of you thinking that you need to put a corset on and, and pull it until it can't be pulled anymore, girl, it's fine to let yourself just be you and wear something more comfortable. Why are you putting your body through it, girl? Like it's, it's kind of my uh, mission to be that, but also in the back of my head, I think to myself, like when I started the story, um, I wish I could still fit into this <laughs> and all that. While both of our guests shared different experiences, a common thread was that they have felt pressured to look a certain way based on beauty standards that have prioritized Eurocentric features. However, throughout their journeys, they have found their way to being authentically them and supporting others in doing the same. In the next part of the conversation, our guests talk about their experiences with the connection between beauty product use and health. I, I come from the makeup industry as well. I worked both for MAC and for Morphe um, in my tenure. And um, so when it comes to makeup, I think one of the coolest things I've ever seen was um, a lot of um, the new makeup lines that are coming out. Um, for example, like House of Gaga, when it first came out, there was a big movement about the fact that she didn't use um, uh, she didn't use makeup products that were uh, safe or um, like not tested on animals. And like it was a big movement. And I remember she changed her entire line just because she wanted to make it more um, safe. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, that's amazing. And then I started looking at some of the regular makeup that I use. And I was like, holy, I'm not going to say the word, but oh my God. <laughs> oh my God, this is crazy. And so um, I worked at Mac at the time and I remember looking into it and I, I never realized how impactful the makeup industry is to just the environment in general and also people's health. It's crazy. And so um, a lot of the makeup I use now is very much, um, if, if I can find an alternative that I know is safe, I'll do it. Um, if I can't find an alternative, girl, then I guess I just sacrifice. So growing up, we were, I wasn't, we didn't have the most money. You know, we were, um, I mean, I felt like I was the poorest person in the world growing up, but I probably, you know, I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Um, and I remember 
like I, I, I think back to the products that we use and they were usually like the bottom shelf, 99 cent dollar products. Um, if they weren't from Walmart, they were from the dollar store. Um, and I remember when I started to learn about carcinogens and, um, you know, and, uh, like allergens and, and, and skin irritants and, um, you know, uh, preservatives and, um, parabens. And I remember when I remember like thinking about that and then, I had just been accustomed to using certain products. So like I go, I go and I look at these products and I'm just like, holy, like the everything that I read about is in all of these products, you know, and I'm just like, wow, like no idea, no idea. And I know my parents didn't have any idea either, but, you know, I started to pay attention at that point. What am I using on my skin? And I made a, I made a very um, quick uh, switch to using a lot of, um, you know, just like, olive oils and, you know, a lot of, um, just natural products. And if I can make it myself, I will. Um, but I think the part where I'm most, um, I think passionate when, when I'm answering these particular questions is that unless you have that, wow, that, you know, that aha moment for yourself, you don't really question these things, right? It's not really something that's, that's taught, you know, um, and then, you know, the accessibility, right? Like I am from the island of Guam and, um, you know, we're very close to other Asian countries and stuff like that. So um, when we're talking about like our corner stores and our markets there and the products that are the most ex accessible and the ones that are most affordable, these products are typically coming from places that there is no sense, there's no um, regulations around you know, these products and then they can be easily found in like our corner stores and stuff like that. So, um, and most people we're, we're kind of broken down into villages and every village has their market. And so you can go and grab these products and you know that they are, who knows what's in these products. Both Melissa and Diva discussed the moments when they learned about chemicals of concern in their products and the shift towards looking for safer products. They also talk about the potential lack of access to information and product availability, which speaks towards a broader issue of who has access to safer products. In the next part of the conversation, we ask the guests to describe a word that makes them feel their best and share a moment where they have felt their best. Beautiful, handsome, fine, sexy, um, you know, all those things. I I don't really, um, you know, for me, a compliment's a compliment. <laughs> so however somebody might be perceiving me in that moment, if they're being nice, I'll take it. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I would say, you know, beautiful and, um, you know, but where, where, like, when do you feel the most beautiful? I would say... When I am focusing on my mental and physical health, that is usually where I am the most confident as a person. Um, when I let either one of those two things get away, I feel like I feel like my fallback is my image, and um, and then I put this heavy emphasis on what I'm, what do I look like? Um, so I feel the most beautiful when I'm taking care of myself, when I'm making time to take care of myself. I'm going to say, um, all right. When I'm in full glamazon mode, <laughs> full glamazon mode, meaning like girl, 
I have my hair snatched up to here. Um, <laughs> um, the uh, the makeup is snatched back. She's she's ready and willing. I have a picture. Hold on, let me show you. I think this is a good representation. Oh, I'm holding my Miss Arizona crown. Um, <laughs> Amazing. We will share this somehow with our podcast listeners. I can send you a picture. Um, I think I think when I get to that, um, when I'm in that mode, and it doesn't happen often, as as weird as it may seem, when I'm doing regular shows or whatever, I showed this picture just because she was right here on the wall. But also, um, the reason I have it up is because it reminds me of um, it reminds me of the moment that the uh, Miss Arizona crown was first put on my head. And I remember feeling so, so powerful um, and just so um, validated and um, a part of something bigger. And just, I remember feeling exactly what I wanted to feel when I was first coming out, which is um, being a part of something bigger than myself. And, and and having people look at me and say, holy shit, I want to do that too. And I remember that moment was the moment that I felt all of those emotions put together along with the crowd screaming. Um, and uh, it just made my whole life go from one lane to another lane. Because at one point I was like, how can I get there? How can I get there? All of a sudden I turned this this huge left turn that told me, okay, now it's time to reach back and pull those girls along with me. For both our guests, the moments when they had felt their best are not only based on their physical appearance, but more specifically, moments when their physical, mental, and emotional health were aligned. If you have not already, please look at the photos of our guests, which are displayed as the artwork of today's episode. These are the moments that Diva and Melissa describe as them feeling at their best. Now, what is the path forward in terms of beauty justice? Here are our guest insights. The, just increasing the awareness, right, of, of what is a safe product, what it could do to you, um, you know, what, 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 uh, long, what long-term use looks like on the body um, and how it can, it can be affecting you. So just increasing that awareness and um, the best way, I think the, the biggest champions in that space would be from um, bigger corporations who have made a conscious effort to putting out healthy products and them helping spread that, you know, awareness as well. Um, just as a trusted influencing source, that would be the the place that I think would have the most impact on a campaign like the like that. Um, but and then when it comes to just embracing, you know, beauty standards, you know, we, you know, there just has to be a conscious um, consistency of promoting promoting and celebrating diversity in all forms. Um, you know, different body types, uh, facial features, skin tones. Um, and I think that, you know, diverse beauty standards is, is one clearly defining what that is. And then again, making that conscious effort to include 
everybody in there um, and not just the masses where you're just pushing the same agenda on the Western ideals of what, what beauty looks like. It's unfair. It's unsafe. You know, it causes, um, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, unhealthy habits, right? It can lead into very unhealthy habits when you're just constantly pressuring an entire world where we should be celebrating our differences and why, why we are beautiful because we are different and just trying to standardize this one look. When it comes to the way forward, one of the things that I've learned, especially just not just in drag, but just in life is girl, you gotta be open to everything. And it doesn't matter what your uh, foundation tells you your foundation, meaning your core beliefs on what you feel is beautiful. It doesn't matter what your foundation is telling you. You have to stay open to everything because you don't know when you're going to get re-inspired. You don't know when you're going to get um, a, um, a different perspective. And sometimes um, even the newest person walking into your life that you think, oh, okay, well, maybe like I can teach them something, they turn around and teach you something. So it's, um, for me, my way forward is trying my hardest to keep that open mind and also um, encouraging people to stop looking at a, um, a standard and to create a standard. And that is my constant endeavor in life, just period. Diva and Melissa shared critical routes forward for beauty justice, including increased education about safer products and the potential health impacts, celebrating diverse beauty standards, and being open to everything in the context of beauty. To end these inspiring conversations, we ask our guests to share some parting words with our listeners. As much time as you are spending on your image, you know, look, look within yourself, share, share that time with your mental health and your physical health and find your courage, find your courage to be authentic, whether that's putting yourself around people who inspire you, um, you know, but, but, you know, get close, get close to your roots, get close to who you are and, and learn about wherever it is that you're from. And I, I really, you know, I really um, suggest this and, you know, without leaving anybody out with, you know, brown and black communities and, and anybody who's two or more, right. Get close, spend some time that goes along with that mental health, focus on your mental health, right. Spend some time in figuring out who you are and where you come from and, and spend time celebrating, where you're from, you know, and why you look the way you look, you know, there's, there's so much to celebrate in your uniqueness. I think if I were to share anything with the world, especially now, because like drag is being like such a, a, a hot uh, topic right now. And um, I think for anyone that's not familiar with drag, I would say, um, Drag is drag to me is not a um, is not a an art form that has an agenda to disrupt um, the um, 
the straight world. <laughs> That's not the the point. Drag is very political, and it's always been because we are telling um, we are telling people we're here and we're not going to go anywhere. Um, from the very beginning. So anybody that's listening to the podcast, um, I just want to say, um, if you're unfamiliar with the art form, it's okay. Um, if you've never seen a show, it's okay. Um, but don't ever stop yourself from enjoying that freedom, for going and living vicariously, vicariously through someone else for a good old, you know, one or two performances at a show see it for yourself and then make your decision from there. Because I guarantee you, if more people went to drag shows, we would have such a happier community, period. Through this episode, we have had the opportunity to chat with folks with diverse perspective, experiences and insights into beauty that have been typically overlooked in broader beauty conversations. From these conversations, we have learned that beauty is not skin deep, and there are real mental and physical costs of upholding beauty standards. However, there is a way forward, and as our guests shared, there are a variety of avenues that we can that we need to focus in our personal and more broadly in terms of businesses and society to push for beauty justice. Thanks for tuning in to this Agents of Change in Environmental Justice Collaborative Podcast. We have enjoyed chatting with Melissa and Diva. Please check out Melissa's work at the Sonoran Institute. And if you are in Tucson, we hear that the drag brunch at IDTs with Diva is a must. Stay tuned next time for another installment of these collaborative podcasts with the Agents of Change in Environmental Justice.